This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Yo, this is Fab Five Freddy, and I am listening to the Heritage Radio Network. That means you are listening to the Heritage Radio Network, and they get busy, and it tastes good up in here. Welcome, welcome to the first ever (laughs) Hungry Society Radio. Um, Today's guest is Nicole Taylor, cookbook author, food writer, and former host of the Hot Grease podcast right here on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, she, her book, The Up South Cookbook, is part cookbook and part memoir telling the story of how Taylor used cooking to reconnect to her southern roots after she moved to Brooklyn. Um, her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Savoir, Cherry Bomb, Ebony Magazine, and so many more. Nicole? Welcome. Congratulations. Thanks <laughs> Thank for having you. me on. I'm so, 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 so excited to be on your show. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you as my first guest. Um, so not only did you used to have a show on this network, but you encouraged me to pitch the show. And now it's happening. And this it, is this is a moment. We, <laughs> this we, is a moment. This is a moment. I, someone said on Instagram, I think, um, Teresa Nelson, who was on my show a million gazillion times, mm-hmm. she said it's a poetic baton pass. Yes. I thought that was beautiful. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful phrase for that. Um, so let's let's jump in. Let's talk about the Up South cookbook and kind of the background of it and why you wanted to write it. Oh, wow. I get that question a lot. Why, I, why write the Up South cookbook? I've always cooked... Um, I think people kept encouraging me, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I'm like, me write a book, a cookbook? Ah." It seems so, like, not reachable. And then after doing the show here for so long, I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, So I did it. I wrote a cookbook, 100-plus recipes. Um, Half of them are southern, deep south recipes from my south. I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia. And the other ones are just being influenced by by Brooklyn, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, being influenced by places like Roberta's where we're sitting, Um, donuts, like dough donuts. Uh, So I wanted to tell the story of, of Brooklyn now and my transition from Georgia to Brooklyn. So that's what I did. So you find a lot of stories in the book, um, a lot of recipes, and a lot of beautiful photography. I, I think my favorite part are, like, the recipes, because there's so many, like, little interesting things from your time in Brooklyn. Like, the fried chicken has coconut milk and yeah. buttermilk in it. Like, it's so, so cool how you combine, like, both cultures. Yeah, I live in Bedford-Stuyvesant, bed um, and at the time, Bed-Stuy was a neighborhood, you know, nine years ago when I moved to New York City. It's changed. Bed-Stuy definitely has changed, but it's still very much the same. Still a very huge Caribbean population in my neighborhood. I still go to the Caribbean Mart, which is like three blocks from my house. So I get coconuts, fresh coconuts, coconut milk, all my Caribbean fruits. So, I mean, 
the Caribbean food and Caribbean heritage mm -hmm. um, it's just wrapped all up in my everyday life I had no choice but to embrace it and also what a, a thing it made me do is it forced me to look at the connections the African diaspora connections yes. between um, um, southern black Americans and folks from the Caribbean so um Thank you, Up South Cookbook. Thank you, Bed Stuy, <laughs> for doing that for me. Yeah. So, growing up in Georgia, what was dining like, like at home? Oh my gosh, dining at home. It's so funny. I did not go out to dinner a lot. Mm. I remember, you know, a treat would be Friday or Saturday going to McDonald's <laughs> um, or Happy Meal. Definitely a happy meal. Yeah, I was obsessed with the fries. Okay. <laughs> forget the burger. Forget the toy. I wanted the fries. Um, but there was one particular incident that kind of changed the way I thought about food. I didn't, um, <clears throat> my father, my late father, we probably met like 10 times in my whole entire life. And every time he came to Athens, every single moment that I met him, it was always centered around really great food and a really high-end restaurant. So mm. the first dining experience that I remember is at a restaurant in Athens called Harry Bissett's. <laughs> And uh, we went there, and it was very, very, and back then I felt like it was very um, fancy. And I remember going there with him, and he said, you can order anything on the menu. So that when I think about dining um, and my first dining experience, that one always comes comes to mind. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Do you remember what you ordered? I don't remember what I ordered, but it's so funny because in Athens, Athens is a college town. So there are a lot of like cool restaurants and then a lot of divey type spots. Mm -hmm. My mother um, was very much the person who always encouraged me to like go downtown and eat downtown. So I remember in high school, all my friends wanted to go to McDonald's and I was trying to figure out how I could go downtown or go to the new fancy Athens restaurant to eat. And so that experience with my father and also my mother encouraging me that no place is off limits to you. Mm hmm kind of shaped my early dining experience like the grill it's mm -hmm. kind of like a dive diner in Athens <laughs> they have the best fries I oh. keep talking about yeah. fries what's up with you that you love fries <laughs> I, do. I do love fries who doesn't love fries though um but that shape that really that really shaped it but we we ate at home eating at home was was a thing you know going out to eat was a very special occasion type thing mm -hmm. for sure so one thing I learned from your book that was really surprising, and I, it wasn't that surprising, but I had never like stopped to think about it, the importance of side dishes on the Southern table. Like, yeah, there's fried chicken, there's always a protein, but there are many, many, many sides, and they're important. Give me the sides, girl, <laughs> all day long. What? I mean, if I go to a meet and three now, if I'm down South and someone says meet and three, bump the chicken, bump the pork chop, Give me the lima beans. Give me the um, black eyed peas. Give me the crowd of peas. Give me all the southern peas that are hard to find here in New York City. But, you know, growing up, they were everywhere. Mm -hmm. Definitely give me those. Um, and I like the kind of stewed, you know, stewed okra, even though I hated okra growing up. Now I appreciate <laughs> it. But those were the things that I remember growing up seeing all the time, mm -hmm. you know, at church functions, Sunday dinners other people's houses on Sunday or special occasions. It was always about the size, for sure. Nice. So when you moved to Brooklyn, what were some of the like biggest differences that you noticed in dining? Oh, dining. So I lived in Atlanta for 13 years. Mm -hmm. So I moved from Athens to Atlanta to go to college. 
And I did a lot of dining out in Atlanta. And I moved to Brooklyn, really, I would say, I like to say at the height of this whole food revolution. One of the things that I immediately saw in Brooklyn was where it was this kind of very casual, laid back thing in, in Brooklyn. And I was kind of drawn to that, you know, seeing all the makers. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't see a lot of, per se, young makers, uh, food makers in Atlanta or in Athens. Eh, maybe in Athens. But, uh, you know, that was the big difference of seeing kind of the casual spots and people having a story behind their restaurant or behind their cafe or their coffee shop. So that was a huge difference. Or maybe I just wasn't paying attention to that at the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely the stories. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a story. They move from somewhere, you know, or uh, they started off, you know, at at the Brooklyn Flea and now they have a restaurant. So that was a huge difference that Mm -hmm. I saw in dining um, in terms of being down south and being in New York City. I think that's so interesting because you moved at the height of that sort of movement mm-hmm. where it was Brooklyn everything and Brooklyn and like artisanal were kind of yeah. synonymous for a while in marketing. And then the same thing kind of happened with Southern food yeah. and Southern culture. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's God. a loaded question. We, but <laughs> we need like two hours for that. Um, you know, here's the thing, what I think about Southern, at the height of Southern food. I would say moving here at that time where people were just, and people are still really obsessed with Southern food, it gave me a a deeper appreciation for who I am as a person and the food that I grew up taking for granted. So that's what it did for me. Um, I really took all the foods of my childhood for granted. I truly did. So seeing people doing fried chicken, I'm like, oh, I can fry chicken with my eyes closed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, truly, I can. Um, And then just seeing some of the restaurants who were trying to do Southern sides, I'm like, this is not for real. This is not for real mac and cheese, (laughs) y'all. It was baked at least, right? No. I ordered some, some mac and cheese yesterday from one of my favorite Southern spots, and... It was just like a cheese sauce with some Mm-mm. some noodles just kind of mixed together. That's not Southern I need mac to, and I cheese. I need to reach out to my boy and tell him, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> but no, it, it you know, moving here at that time with Southern food, I think, you know, I appreciate the people who are doing Southern food well mm-hmm. in, in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and New York City because it elevates the conversation around um, what Southern food really is. Um it elevates the larger conversation about the contributions of Southern cuisine and particularly, you know, enslaved Africans and black folks, what that means to Southern food. So, I mean, all in all, it didn't hurt or it doesn't (laughs) hurt. Right. So what restaurants do you think do a really good job with Southern food? Oh, wow. So my favorite, I love egg, egg in Brooklyn. George is, um, really great person and I love his food when I want a southern fix I definitely go there he does a great country ham biscuit with figs and cheese awesome that sounds amazing yeah egg is definitely one of the places that I always try to go go to nice this episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux maker of America's number one organic pet food organics you put a lot of care and thought into what you eat After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. 
Castor and Pollock scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollock is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollock. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. So, um, do you have any other favorite restaurants that maybe aren't um, Southern that you love going to in New York? Yeah, I was just having this crazy dialogue with my husband who is an artist, a creative person, but he was like, I'm not a food person like you, but he has a lot of freaking opinions about (laughs) food. I'm like... This past weekend, we went we went out to dinner. It was a holiday weekend, so we went out probably more than normal, maybe like three or four times, and we had like three really bad meals. It was so crazy. It was, I just really, and expensive and bad. Mm. And so we had this like two-hour conversation about mediocre food in New York. Yeah, it's a lot of mediocre spots, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there are really high-end like really, really good places that aren't necessarily always high end, but sometimes they are. But there is like this middle of like a uh, meh. It's and it's exactly. usually pretty expensive, which is unfortunate. But one of my new spots that I've been going to a lot is Golda. It's in Bed Stuy, right up under the Franklin Avenue shuttle stop. Um, the the owner there used to be a partner in another establishment, so he just opened maybe not even a month. I've gone like, I go like two or three times. I've gone like two or three times in the last month and he's been open a month. Golda, what type of food is it? It's so, it's kind of like um, Mediterranean's kind of like, um, what do you want to call it? Um, kind of like the Shia, the Israeli. So yeah, it's just really fresh, really good. He does a lot of savory um, pastries, definitely not so sweet, sweet pastries. Um, He does, like, this great cauliflower thing, Mm. egg and cheese. His food is just really good and flavorful. I'm all about the flavor. (laughs) Yeah, it's really important. Super. (laughs) No bland white people food. (laughs) No. (laughs) So what's the atmosphere like? Is it more casual or is it more upscale? It's a coffee shop. Oh, it's a coffee shop. (laughs) It's really kind of like a coffee shop cafe. That's the crazy thing. Um, it's not like this sit-down spot. I mean, you can sit down there, but you don't have to get reservations. You don't have to do all that. You go in. A lot of people are getting their coffee, but you can sit down. I've had, like, two meetings there. Uh, I'm a regular already. <laughs> but, no, it's a cafe. It's an all-day breakfast, lunch spot cafe. Nice. I think that's been a really positive thing in in dining culture and food culture lately is you don't have to go to the high-end spots anymore like coffee shops can have really amazing food another place that i went to recently which is the same exact thing is danny meyer's daily provisions Mm -hmm. which is attached to union square cafe i mean same similar concept great breads great pastries tiny tiny like what maybe 12 seats Mm and daily provisions um, it's great. You know, you can get a great meal. I had I had a glass of wine there. I had a salad. I had a sandwich. 
I don't know if I had a salad, but I definitely <laughs> had a sandwich and wine. Uh, but I, I love a good spot like that where they're focusing on, you know, a few things. It's super fresh mm-hmm. and it's you know super great. And I don't feel like, oh, I just paid $13 for a sandwich. I don't, I'm not even thinking about the price because the experience was, you know, spot on. Oh. Yeah. Are there any things that have happened lately in dining culture that you're not a big fan of? Like when you go out to eat, you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's too loud or the tables are too close or anything like that? <sighs> Well, I mean, we live in New York City, so can we really complain about... (laughs) About not having enough space. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I always feel like, wow, I'm like crammed up in this spot. I can't even turn around barely. I was like, I went somewhere like that the other day, this new spot that opened on Myrtle Avenue. And, uh, well, two things that bother me. I am all for the um, no gratuity establishments, but I feel like... If you're a no gratuity establishment, meaning, you know, tipping is already in the price, your service needs to be on point. Right. <laughs> right. It needs to be on point because regardless, in my little mind, I'm thinking I'm paying $14 for an egg and cheese sandwich. I need for your service to be on point. Right. Um, and so I had that experience. The service was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the food was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I couldn't get into the two ch- seats were kind of sandwiched together. It was kind of hard. My butt and it's hard to like move through without like knocking someone else's coffee over. <laughs> I don't know. Some people just don't think about the logistic logistics piece and people having a cool dining experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I asked about the noise and stuff because there's been like a couple articles lately about, you know, people like restaurants are too loud now and, you know, tables are too close together and I hate it. Um, but I think in New York, you kind of you learn to put up with that. You know, one of my favorite places in New York that has like really great music and really loud music is Charlie Bird. Yes, that yeah. is a cool spot. Yeah, their music is always on freaking point. Um, and it's kind of loud, but I love it. I mean, you really feel the vibe in there. You totally feel the vibe. Nice. So what is dining like in your home today? Dining like at home for me? hmm Wow. So I do cook at least three or four days a week at home. Um, I get a CSA. I'm a member of Clinton Hill CSA. So that means every other week I get like two big bags of, of fruits and vegetables. So I plan my meals out every single week. So oh. I like write out on Sunday what I need to buy and what I'm making. And most times that's centered around what I have in my CSA. Um, so I cook. I cook seasonally all the time. I go to Fort Greene's Farmer's Market. Hector, one of the farmers from Kanaku Farm, is my favorite farmer. So I'm always going to him and getting great stuff so cooking at home to me is very much about seasonality Mm -hmm. super about seasonality unless I'm working on a book (laughs) (laughs) where it's all about what I need to make or if I'm working on a recipe for you know a story that I'm writing I feel like my whole week is like making that one thing over and over and trying it a million times and after I do that I'm like oh let me just use caviar (laughs) I don't even want to cook like a regular dinner after I'm you know dealing with whatever for like four days or so I feel like you brought that you know southern cooking and that kitchen that you grew up with like to Brooklyn and it's so I've been to your apartment and it's like so warm and inviting and the food's great yeah Um, but I feel like you really like incorporated both spaces yeah I mean Regardless, I'm a Southerner. 
I mean, it's in my bones. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that I speak, the way that I move, the way I think about life and the way I think about people, it's all a reflection of, you know, being around Southern women and men who cooked in the kitchen or who, you know, worked at a factory. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is really in, in inside of me to, to appreciate every single thing that I have. I realize that it's, you know, it is a privilege for me to live in New York City, to be Nicole Taylor from Athens, Georgia, <laughs> to be able to write about food. Um, and so I think about that with everything that I do and every project, that I'm really, really um, blessed and privileged to be able to do this every day. So I hope that comes out in my living space. I hope it comes out in my food mm-hmm. and that it comes out in anything that I'm writing or anything that I do. Yeah, that you're, I was going to ask, like, what makes you pursue certain projects like you know the pieces that you write for the times or for whoever um they always have this like root of um history and people and and culture yeah um i try to do things that i feel really passionate about i mean i wrote a piece for the new york times about martha's vineyard particularly Mm -hmm. around black martha's vineyard um because i'm so passionate i love that place Jessica Harris, you know, kind of introduced me to that place. Well, she, yeah, it was kind of, it was a barter (laughs) as I started the article and I fell in love with that. So for me to write about that, it was, it was, you know, it was an honor to be able to write about that. And then the piece before that for the New York Times about Juneteenth, um, same thing. I celebrated Juneteenth for probably about 10 plus years. Um, So it was easy for me to write and share, um, share the experience and to share what I know and to, you know, give that gift to other people who may not know about Black Martha's Vineyard or may not know about Purple Sugar Cane mm-hmm. in, on Sapelo Island. So I always, what I've learned over the years is that when I'm really passionate about something, the work is so much better. Yes. When I do stuff that I'm like, wonk, 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 <laughs> it just is not good. It's really not good. Did you, like, notice that those stories weren't out there, or did you see them, or, like, I guess I'm asking if, like, you think Food Media did a good job of covering those stories. Wow. (laughs) Food Media. (laughs) I mean, let's keep it real. I made a comment earlier about bland white people food. And what I mean by that is, you're, you're laughing, but, <laughs> uh, but what I mean by that, uh, not to say that white people are cooking bland food, but it's, what it means is people are tired of the same old, same old. That's what I meant by saying that. And that applies to food media. People want different stories. They want something with flavor. They want something that hasn't been talked about. So anytime I'm approaching a story, you know, I want to know, you know, how many people are writing about purple sugar cane? Mm. Or if I'm writing a story or doing a Q&A with Michael Twitty, I don't want to ask him the same questions right. that everybody is asking him. I want right. to go a little bit deeper and ask him something completely different. Um, so I always make sure, um, has someone else talked about this before? Mm-hmm. Um, if they have, why would I do it? Right. When I had my show on Heritage, I was very obsessed with not having the same guests on the network that other people would have. Right. Um, I just want to make sure that I tell a story that's that's different, you know, and that people would be excited about. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understand where you're coming from. As a food writer, I 
definitely follow stories that I'm passionate about for the same reason. Um, and I always love to ask fellow food writers this, what does the perfect food media world look like to you? Like in an ideal world, what would it look like? Wow. It is a big question. That but is I just, a huge question. I just I always like to ask different food writers because I think we should be aware of what we're working towards. I think a lot of the conversation has been, I mean, you've heard me say this before, I'm pretty much done with the conversation around cultural appropriation. I'm so sick of that conversation. It is an important conversation and that people should be having, but we need to like move the needle, move the needle in food media and start talking about equity. Um, and when I say equity in terms of food media, who do you have on your staff? Do you have a black person on your staff? And not only do you have a black person on your staff, do you have any black editors mm -hmm. as well? Also, too, are you supporting um, people in power? Are you supporting other people of color who are trying to create platforms, mm -hmm. food media platforms? How are you supporting them? Um, I think that is the, that is the next conversation. That is the next conversation that I'm going to start having, that I am having. Um, it is so beyond this cultural appropriation thing. It's really about power. Um, it's about who holds, who's making the decision on who who's writing what mm -hmm. and who's editing that person mm -hmm. and who's supporting uh, the new new, who's supporting the new serious eats that's a, by a person of color right. or, a, or a zine that a person is working on that's of color. How are we supporting that person? Right. I think people often leave the word power out of the conversation yeah. and think it's just, you know, oh, white people can't cook oxtails. Like, that's not, no, <laughs> that's that not has, the issue. <laughs> that is so far from the issue, right. but people get hung up on that. They, they really do, because they think you're, you're telling them they can't cook food that they love, and that's not the issue. It's about power. Nobody said Rick Bayless cannot make tacos. Exactly. Okay? But what we are saying to Rick Bayless, how many people have you empowered um, in the last 30 years to be able to open a restaurant um, similar to yours? And as, like, people in food media... Are we going just to Rick Bayless? Or are we going to Mexican chefs as well? Yeah. So, no, I think that's really important. Um, if you could have, we're going to change gears a little bit. Cool. <laughs> if you could have your last meal in a restaurant, where would it be? And who Oof. is invited? Oh, my gosh. Really? Yes, really. So I'm not going to say French fries, but I do love French fries. Why am I talking about French fries? French fries so tasting. crazy. <laughs> Let me say this. Okay, that is a really hard question. But I will tell you some of the places that I'm in love with that I missed earlier when you asked me about some of my fate. Cosme, I freaking love Cosme and Alta. That's his new kind of casual restaurant. Mm -hmm. I love places that have layered flavors in their food and great, great cocktails. Um, I can't think of where I would eat. That's a hard one. What wow. would you eat? What would I eat? Yeah, maybe not where, but what would you eat? Okay, let me start with what I would like. I love a place that has a great cider, New York City cider collection, or um, great southern ciders. I'm a okay. huge cider fan. I love Eve Cidery in upstate New York. So I love cider. I would take cider over um, wine any day. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they have to have cider. Definitely dessert. Oh, my gosh. I'm obsessed with dessert. So we've got cider and dessert so far. Yes. And potatoes. May I say potatoes? Just raw potatoes? No. Some kind of <laughs> potatoes in any form. You can you can 86 the meat. I'm so... Really? No meat? 
at your last no, meal. I could do vegetarian all day long. I'm not a huge meat eater. Um, so I could definitely have a meal vegetarian. Who would I want to be there? Okay. Wow. Food people? No, just this is your last meal on earth. Who last is invited? Last meal on earth. Wow. That is a t- I definitely want to laugh. I don't like what I've realized over the last few years. I don't want to talk about food every time I go out and eat. I just mm-hmm. want to be with sometimes with friends who are not in the food world. And I don't have to talk about the business or they just, you know, say, hey, Nicole, order up some stuff. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I would want to be with some of my closest friends who care, who don't care about food whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just sit there for hours. Maybe you know what? I should buy out the whole spot. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> let's do a buyout. Yeah. Ding, 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 do ding, a buyout ding. of a restaurant. Yeah. I would do a buyout. Let's let's buy me out for the last meal. It doesn't matter what the restaurant is. They're, no. They're I just very need. Specific. I need some type of great potatoes, mm-hmm. fried or preferably cider, and a banging ass dessert menu. A, what about a like dessert buffet or spread? We can do that. Perfect. We can do that. that. Pie, please. A pie. <laughs> there has to be multiple pie. One kind yeah. of pie. Um, I like a good fruit pie. Sweet potato. Eh. I, you know, I can take a leave of sweet potato pie, but a definitely a good fruit pie. Definitely ice cream. One hundred and ten percent got to have ice cream. I love ice cream. I love Jenny's ice cream. Still my favorite. Yeah, Jenny's is pretty good. Still my favorite. Um, but, yeah, those are the things I would love to have. Nice. Um, and without naming any names, yeah. can you talk about one of the worst dining experiences that you've Ooh. ever had? Or you can name names if you want to. I mean, I mean it's up recently, to you. I think I just told you one of the worst. This is a new spot that opened. supposed to be kind of like a cafe all day. That was the worst dining experience I had this weekend. It was crazy. It was just like, oh, my gosh. Did we just spend $40 on, like, two egg sandwiches and coffee? And, like, it was really bad. It was the first time in a long time that I had a really bad meal. I also, this weekend, went to, um, I forget the name of it. It's, like, a floating barge out on Pier 6. Um, That was not a bad dining experience. The view is beautiful. The oysters were on point and fresh. And the rosé was... (laughs) But the other food... eh. Uh, not good. I go can't. for the yeah. Go for the oysters and rosé and the um and the view, the uh, sunset. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. So, where can listeners find you, and what do you have coming up? What do I have coming up? Well, on all platforms, I am food culturist. Instagram. I used to be a big Twitter person. I've been on Twitter like nine years, but now. I feel like Instagram is where it's at. But um, mm-hmm. all social handles under food cultures. Um, what do I have coming up? So I am taking this fall to finish my book proposal. I'm about 90% done. And hopefully my agent will sell my book and I'll spend the rest of the year uh, working on my cookbook. That's one. And finally, one of the things I'm most excited about that comes out in a few months, um, I edited all of the food uh, recipes or all of the recipes for Crop Stories, mm-hmm. which is a Southern zine um, started by my dear friend, Andre Gallant. He's a food writer based in Athens, and um, we're doing a whole Crop Story issue on sweet potatoes. 
So you have stories around farming, around food, um, and recipes. So there are like 12 recipes in there. I'm super, super proud of them and proud mm-hmm. of the whole zine. Um, so, yeah, that's coming out. So I'll be nice. doing some pro- promo on that. And you can get the Up South Cookbook oh, on yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like to tell people Greenlight Bookstore. If you go on my website, mm-hmm. you can click on Greenlight Bookstore. And since that's my neighborhood bookstore, if you want to sign copy, you just put a note in there, say, I want to sign copy. And then I pop over the Greenlight and I sign the copy. But that's the, that's I think wonderful. that's the easy way to get the book. That's The excellent. Up South Cookbook. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being my first guest. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored expecting big you. things from you. Ooh, I will do my best. You will. I know you will. I know you will. Thanks <laughs> thank for Thank you me. so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Hungry Society. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.